Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Story. My name's Chris Cantori and this episode is brought to you by so many awesome folks. March and Ash, marchandash.com. Also want to thank Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. You can find them online at bajabound.com. Planning a trip south of the border? Need to make sure you have auto insurance. Baja Bound will get you covered. Not only auto insurance, they'll they'll insure all your personal belongings, or at least most of them. My friends who take part in the races down there, the Baja races, you know, they get their bikes, everything, trailers, all of it insured through BajaBound.com. All right, so Aubrey Huff here. Interesting story. Uh, Aubrey and I got hooked up. Talk about coming from different backgrounds. You, you couldn't find two more different people. Just major league ball player. The guy's a machine. Politically, I think we're on different sides, but that's what's genius because you get us together. And as he put up in a review on the podcast saying, it's just like hanging out with an old friend. And that's how I felt with Aubrey too. A very deep, open-minded discussion. And it really shed a lot of light, you know, when it comes to just even being a little league dad, you know, here I'm talking to a professional ball player. It was such a trip because here I have a son who plays little league and, you know, we all have these dreams of our kids going to the big leagues or whatever, or, you know, becoming pros or getting scholarships. And it was interesting to talk to him about his trajectory and how he got to the big leagues because it makes you think like, well, if he can do it, maybe my kid could do it. And it's really cool. But then on the flip side, you're also talking to a guy who made a gazillion dollars in the big leagues and then on the back end of it battled with mental health issues. He talks about it, depression, anxiety, stuff that I can relate to. I think that is really the common bond and stuff like that is what what bonds us as humans. You know, that's why talking about this stuff is so important because we get wrapped up in all the, you know, how do we differ? It's not about how we differ in life. It's how we connect and how we we share similar experiences or emotions. To me, that's what life is about. And we just get too wrapped up, especially the day and age that we live in today, in the hate, in the negativity, in our disconnects. But you're talking to two guys, guy who grew up in Texas, me, Southern California, major league ball player, me, a DJ in and out of work, yet I just found this, this crazy connection to this man, Aubrey, just based on his struggles out of baseball, which are struggles all of us as humans can relate to, just trying to get through after you accomplish your goals or your dreams, you know? So it's a really great discussion, and I want to thank Aubrey for his candidness and openness, and definitely check out his podcast. It friggin' rules. Off the Cuff with Aubrey Huff, linked in the blog, and uh, hunt it down, subscribe, especially if you're a sports person and you like the sports talk mixed with uh, real insight just around mental health and stuff. And I hope you enjoy this chat with Aubrey here on Talking Story. What's up, my man? Just chilling, man. Enjoying yeah. this beautiful San Diego weather. It's a trip how we got kind of hooked up. I've got a friend here that I work with on the radio that said, hey, there's a dude who's a former ball player who wants to start a podcast. Can you help him out? And I said, sure. And then I went to your place in Solana Beach, and here we are. Well, yeah, Chris, I appreciate it, man, coming out. I know it didn't work out with me and you because you were kind of an asshole when you showed yeah, up. No, I know. <laughs> you <laughs> no. big time me. You're like, I'm not working with this slouch. No, it's interesting. When I got in the podcasting industry, uh, I got a good buddy of mine in Arizona who 
for the longest time. We went to college together. We wanted to do something forever. And our only real good talent together, besides playing baseball in college, was talking shit. <laughs> right? And uh, so as I'm starting to think about doing uh, a podcast, I've tried so many different things when I got out of baseball. I've been out for seven years. Seven years out of the big leagues. Out of the big leagues, yeah. Okay. Uh, retired in 2012. I've been an assistant coach. I've volunteered at the local church. I've done network marketing, which fucking blows. The worst. And, um, you know, all kinds of different things. I even tried my hand at acting. Right, just to stay relevant. You Did know? you? Oh, and it was, I got some, you know, little small roles with like student films and stuff like that, but nothing of re- relevance, right? And this was, is right when you got out of baseball playing Throughout for the-, the last five, six years. Okay. I'm just trying to find that adrenaline and passion, excitement that can replace the baseball feeling. How do you do that? And I'll it's, talk about that it's later. Tr- it's, tr- it's hard. We'll get there. Um, but um, yeah, so my, me and my buddy were like, hey, you know what? Instead of doing this by myself in my house, as I got all my equipment there, yep. you come over, it's going to set me up. And I'm thinking to myself, what a narcissistic asshole <laughs> that I could do this all by myself. And just people are going to listen to me seven years out of the game. And I said, you know what, let's get my buddy on and we're going to talk some shit. And this, we're about a month in now. We've had uh, Adam Jones of the Diamondbacks on, Will Clark from the uh, 80s back in the Giants. Yeah. And uh, we just launched today with Kevin Euclid, Red Sox World Series champion in 2004. And the locker room banter is great. With That's me and my awesome. boy and these guys. So we're talking a lot of shit. We're getting great reviews on Apple Podcasts. It's banging, man. It's, it's doing well. And I'm stoked for you because it wasn't a situation like, whoa, this guy just left me for his buddy and I just got di-. I was like, you're doing it the right way. That's how you do it. That's how you do create the art is by pairing up with people that you're like-minded. You have this amazing chemistry, something that can't be faked. And I know what it's like signing on and feeling like a narcissistic dickhead, like, <laughs> hey, it's my show and here we go, which is why I even changed the name of the show from Cantori and You to Talking Story because yeah. I didn't want my name in the title for the same reasons. Yeah. My platform with baseball was was really something that defined me for so long. And, uh, you know, get out of it. I'm like, I'm just so used to being an asshole, right? I was an asshole for a long time when I played. You know, it was that cocky, over-the-top narcissistic you know I was a great teammate I think you know I was one of those guys in the clubhouse that kept it loose and loved to talk shit with the fellas went out and I'd buy dinners for everybody and you know buy the drinks you're the big shot yeah I just had a great time you know but behind all the the lies the mask I was wearing there was a lot of um unhappiness there and I don't think that really came out until you retire Mm. I think a lot of guys in baseball they struggle with that they it's such one of those things especially nowadays with the social media and the instant gratification that people want and need from players nowadays. Um, and to go out, some of these guys now, they can't even go out and have dinners or even go to a club. Now, you're talking about people who are currently playing? Currently playing. Okay. Currently playing. We didn't have that when I played. Right? Mm. Um, they can't even go out and have dinners and, and go to a bar and enjoy themselves without being on, afraid of being on a video the next day on Instagram right. or what have you. Um, so I can't even imagine what it's like for these guys. Now, what is it like for you, though, when you're seeing these all, all these ball players living their lives today? Is there, a, is there a level of, man, I don't want to call it jealousy, but does it make you hanker for those days again? Like the the get-off-my-lawn guy? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know. It's got to be hard. There, there's some of that because you've seen the game change so much in seven years. I mean, when I played, you know, you could run over the catcher, you know, you could bulldoze, and now that's, you can't, you know. You throw up and in on somebody, and that was just part of the game. You see guys all the time now, they're they're hitting a home run, they're pimping home runs, they're bat flipping a, the bat all in the sure. air. I mean, back in the day, you did that, you're getting your ass knocked down. It's interesting you say that too, because I was reading somewhere that like a security guard kicked somebody out of Petco recently for heckling a player. And I think about my days as a kid, going to stadiums and hearing people yelling at the players and thinking to myself, 
how do the players stay in the game with that much hate being tossed at them? But even that's changed too, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. When I played, it was just part of the game. And you almost get to the point where you enjoy it. Really? Like, like to it me, fuels you. Oh, I love it. I loved it. Like, why are people so sensitive now? I, I think it's just the world we live in. It's that you know trophy generation we live in. Everybody's sure. growing up with the trophy generation. It's the big time social media where everybody's supposed to be offended now. Mm. Um, I love people like yourself. They can push the envelope a little bit. That's not afraid to embarrass themselves a little bit. Yeah. And, and be open and talk real shit, man. And we're at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are struggling as I did with anxiety and depression because we filter ourselves and we yeah. don't allow ourselves to say what we really feel. And so we bottle up all these things that we desperately want to say to the ones we love the most. And you just bottle it up because you're afraid of what other people may think. Especially when you're a pro World Series ring wearing ball 1, player. 1,000%. Yeah. I, I turned into this guy where everybody expected me to be this party guy, this uh, guy that keeps it loose in the clubhouse, the guy that would say anything and do anything. And then when I got out of the game, it forgets about you like that. Man. I mean, it's over like that. And what a mind fuck. Yeah, it's a mind fuck. 24 other guys that you're with are like brothers. They're not brothers. They're like, you know, you're, you're, they're your best, best friends, right? And, and uh, well, actually, they are like brothers. Yeah. They're family. And um, when those guys go, it just, it's an instant stop. And you can't go into a world um, as, you know, look at some of these ex athletes, man. They get out of the game. It's, I know friends of mine that are blowing their brains out. Yeah. And I was close. I almost did that at one point. I've seen that. I've seen that in um, their industries here, just because uh, you were obviously, you know, when it came to you and when I was first contacted about, you know, doing a podcast with you and I was transparent with you, I said, dude, I had to Google you. <laughs> <laughs> I had to Google you, bud. But in my world of knowing guys that are close to the action sports industry, where you have this profound amount of fame early on in skateboarding, BMX, and then the party ends, it all stops overnight. And these guys don't know what to do with themselves. And there have been situations of depression, anxiety, suicide, as you said, now, the only filter I can put it through is I worked at an alternative radio station here in town for 11 years. Overnight, it was taken away from me where I had this show. My whole identity went, went away like that. And I fell into a gnarly ass depression that I can't even wrap my head around now. But I put your career through that filter where I just had this local regional success. <laughs> Mice nuts compared to you wearing two friggin' World Series rings. How much of a mind fuck is it to go from wearing a ring to what am I doing with my life? Your identity's gone. <clears throat> well, it's weird because I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to be you know narcissistic here by any means, but you know, I made sixty million dollars in my career in baseball. Facts are facts. I there's no narcissism there. Eight thousand square foot house in a gated community in San Diego. Um, had all the bells and whistles, toys. Had a beautiful wife, kids, healthy, um, and then. You know, you, I look at my life and I'm like, why am I so unhappy? And I remember in 2014, two years after I retired, you, I mean, you can picture this scene. I'm sitting there cutting vegetables at my island. My, my ex-wife now, she mm -hmm. was um, cooking dinner. I look at my kids who are four and two at the time. They're playing Legos, watching TV on the, I mean, I had the perfect fucking life. Sure. Unbelievable life. And two years after I retired, I was struggling daily with panic attacks daily. And I would have like this unbelievable suicidal type depression at nighttime where I can yeah. have a hard time falling asleep. And as I'm cutting these vegetables, right, on a perfect San Diego day, 85 degrees outside, it's summer, it's just gorgeous. Money's in About, the bank, yeah, nice I, house. I, I don't have to do a fucking thing the rest of my life. Um, every man in the world would give his left nut to have my life. Sure. And I'm sitting there cutting the vegetables and my heart starts racing. Once again, the daily panic attack was coming. 
So I told my my wife at the time, I said, Bobby, hey, I got I'm having another panic attack. And she looks at me like, okay, see you later. Retreat to my closet, went right to my closet. And in my closet, I had this full length mirror. And at the time I was wearing a wife beater, shaved head, goatee, I had all the tats up and down my arms. I looked like a badass, right? Badass. But deep down, man, I was just fucking dying inside. And I remember at the time, I had this little uh, safe with a code on it. I popped the code because I've gotten tired of life. I had this 357 Magnum in there. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Pulled it out, and I hit my knees, and I'm crying. I'm looking at this fucking pussy in the, in the mirror. Damn. And I put the gun next to my head. I pulled the hammer back. And I don't think I was going to pull the trigger. I just wanted to feel what it looked like seeing myself in that kidding? situation. Oh, dude, it was, it was epic, right? I mean, I was, just, I was so low. And honestly, I wasn't going to do it, but there was this moment in time where it was almost like somebody was telling me, whether it was spiritual or not, devil or whatever, fuck it, man, go for it. And then I thought to myself, oh my gosh, as I'm sitting there, I got so much to live for. And I take myself back as a, as, as a kid when I was six years old, my dad was tragically murdered at six years old by that same exact caliber weapon. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. So that, oh. that snapped me back like full circle, right? So did you have like an outer body? Of, like, it was unbelievable. Because I've been in these situations, not with a gun in my hand, mm-hmm. but I remember profoundly being in a shower and just down on my knees crying in the shower. And just having an outer body experience where I was looking at myself on my knees in the shower crying. Was it similar to that? I didn't see myself necessarily like no. that. But it was a point of where I was so mad at, you know, God at the time. And I was screaming. I get that. Oh, man. I was screaming at him like a pissed off teenager. But why were parents. you mad? What did you feel? How were you wrong? Or why ma- did you feel like a victim in this position? I was mad because I couldn't understand why I couldn't be happy. You know, and I mean, essentially, I mean, I went to church every Sunday with my wife and my kids and, you know, but there, I had my faith, but I said, yeah, where's this freedom that, that all the Christians talk about? Where's this love and this uh, love for life? It just wasn't there for me. Yeah. And it was, I realized it wasn't him. It wasn't my faith. It was just really the, the lack of identity. That you had. Yeah. That's 1000%. Yeah. And uh, so once I, once I kind of had that out with him. Right. And, and, um, started, I was in that closet for an hour crying and walked out of there one day. I said, you know what? It's time to put that behind me. I'm no longer a professional athlete. I'm no longer a baseball player. Cause I was holding on to that. And it's time to start moving on and do other things. That's when I started kind of going out and coaching and volunteering and, and just trying to find something to keep my mind off the game. And it wasn't overnight. It didn't happen overnight, no but way. slowly and surely I started kind of thinking clearly started getting better. And it's interesting, Chris, the more I talk about my struggles with anxiety and depression, the better I feel and the more freedom I feel and the more passion I feel Amen. because I know I'm sharing with other people that are listening to this right now going, holy fuck, I'm having that too. It's, it's what connected me to you when I first went to your house because I remember walking in going, whoa, this place is amazing and seeing a World Series trophy. I've never seen you know, a replica. What, what, was that the actual trophy? Yeah, yeah, it's I like a replica. They give, they give the players an option. It cost me 40 grand from Tiffany's, but, but holy <laughs> shit, I had to spring for that. What an amazing piece. And then we start talking and I'm hearing uh, that's, uh, our lives are so similar yeah. and, and connected. And, I, and we all are as humans. And that's why it's just so fascinating to me. Now, you know, when it comes to your childhood, tell me about your upbringing. So your dad... You lost your dad at an early age. That's mm-hmm. that's heavy, man. So do you think that helped you with your discipline to become you know, a committed ball player and kept you locked in? Well, I think this is a really great story. And I speak from time to time to like local high schools and, and groups like that. And, and uh, you know, I do some motivational stuff and stuff like that. But this story always floors people. 
Um, so when I was six years old, I'm sitting on my grandmother's couch and uh, my mom works at Winn-Dixie full time. Um, she came home one day and she, the door flies open. It's about four in the afternoon. And my grandparents just come firing at the door to meet her. her she's screaming. I mean, she's screaming tears down her face. And I'm just kind of looking over there. They're hugging each other. My grandparents and my mom, like, what, is, what the fuck's going on? You're six years old. And they come walking over to me and let me know that my father had just been murdered in Abilene, Texas at Jesus. work. Um, so oh my God. he walked into this place. Now, what was your dad in? What industry? He was an electrician in okay. a local apartment complex. And um, this guy was, it was a domestic dispute. The guy had a gun. Um, um, as he comes to check out, he actually didn't have the gun at the time. It was tucked in his pants. Nobody saw it. But my dad's checking out, about ready to go home. And um, it's, if you can picture a lobby in an apartment complex, and there's this desk on the side in the corner, and there's another desk on another corner. And the, there was this guy yelling at his his wife at the time. And my dad walks up to the office manager lady at the other desk and what's going on over there? What the fuck's going on? And the manager's like, well, that's that's her husband. He's been here for the last 20 minutes just wearing her out about, I don't know what, can you do something? My dad's yeah, sure, I'll check it out. Yeah. So my dad walks over there and tries to kind of diffuse the situation. And the the killer, Travis Ray Hughes, this is white trash redneck. Never forgot yeah, his name, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And you never will. Uh, my dad's like, hey dude, what, just calm down, man. Take it easy. Take it. And the guy's like, fuck you, asshole. Pulls a gun, puts it at my dad. My, Come on. My dad throws the gun down, like hits it away. It's like a, it's like a movie scene. They both wrestle the ground or what have you. And Travis was able, able to get the gun and shoot my dad in the hip, <sighs> kind of disabling him, right? The lady, his wife is screaming. He shoots her in cold blood as she's trying to run off. No. And as he's shooting, my dad is all, he's already getting up and trying to hobble off. The office manager is like screaming and he starts to pull the gun at her. And my dad pushes her down behind the desk and shoots and misses her. My dad's hobbling away. Travis follows him out the door. And right as he's trying to get out the door, shoots him right Come in the on. head, cold blood in the back Come of the head. On. Boom, cold blood Come right on. there. I can't. This fucking guy runs pussy. two blocks away, pussy, Walks, runs off. He gets caught two blocks by an off-duty cop. He's serving life in prison. And so my mom gets that news, obviously. She's fucking losing it. She tells me, my she didn't go into details, obviously, at six, right. what happened. But later in life, she did. And it's, uh, you know, I'm proud of him for saving somebody's life, pushing somebody out of the way and stepping in. But, you know, as a kid growing up in Texas, I didn't have a dad to play football with or baseball, what have you. And this is where the story gets pretty inspirational. You know, you, you, you hear so many people that lose so much and play the victim role and all right. that shit, right? I had every reason to play the victim role as a kid. No question. I grew up in a trailer park. My mom worked Winn-Dixie to raise me and my sister at a meat market salary. And I just, you know, I just knew something was going to, I was going to make something out of my life. I was going to be able to take care of my mom someday. I didn't know how at the time. And about uh, shortly thereafter, my father's murder, she came home one day and, and we lived in a little place called Mineral Wells, Texas, which is 45 minutes west of Arlington, Texas. And we were huge Texas Rangers fans. Sure. I was anyway. And my mom came home from Winn-Dixie one day and she could barely afford anything. You know how prices are at ball games? Yeah. She got three tickets to a Texas Rangers game. I was ecstatic. Never been to a big league game. So you're how old now? I'm six, seven, I'm years, seven old. years old probably. Okay. And I was quite a little good artist. So I, I uh, had this little canvas and I made a Texas Rangers logo, painted it, took it to the game, thinking I can get some autographs. So I get there early for batting practice. I go down to the down towards the uh, dugout, and my grandmother's favorite player at the time was Jeff Houston, a little shortstop for the Rangers. Okay, he's take he's slapping the ball to left field, and he only comes out of the cage. And I'm going, Jeff, you're my grandma's favorite player. Can you sign my my canvas? And he looks over, and he walks right over, signs my. He's, did you paint that son? I'm like, I sure did. And he goes, 
hey, guys, guys, come here, come here. He got 13 guys from the cage that was hitting batting practice come no. over and signed my canvas, which was fucking amazing. How awesome. So in that moment, I see all these men in these uniforms, beards and just strong alpha males. Heroes. Like, Heroes. These are my dads, right? These, yes. To me, that kind of replaced that fatherless figure for me. Baseball became Fascinating. Right? And I get in the car that night, and my mom's driving us home. My sisters pass out in the car. I go, Mom, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a major league baseball player. And you know what? If you buy me a, a batting cage, a pitching machine, and an automatic ball feeder, I'm going to make it the big leagues one day. I'm going to buy you a house and a car. Are you shitting me? No. This is beautiful. No. Poetic. Poetic. And she says to me, well, as a mother working at Winn-Dixie, well, that's sweet, honey, but I don't know if I can afford that. Yeah. Two years goes by. I'm playing Little League. I'm loving baseball. I'm staying up till three in the morning watching Sports Center highlights of baseball players mimicking their swings. And, you know, uh, I think it was, I was nine years old Christmas um, when I was nine. And we're all around the tree. Everybody's opening presents. My sister, my mom, my grandma, my grandpa. Last presents on the tree, my sister's opening. I don't have fucking nothing at nine years old. I'm like, whoa, you know, as, right. a, as a nine-year-old would be. My grandpa, tough redneck from Texas. Get up, boy. Get up. Quit crying. Quit your bitching, right? <laughs> puts, a, uh, puts a bandana on me. Come on. Leads me outside, and they had erected my mom and sister. This my is mom a Christmas story. Oh, Instead of the Red Rider BB gun, <laughs> what did you get? You got yourself a, a cage. cage. Yeah, my, yeah, my, my grandpa did. my mom had put this up themselves. It's beautiful. And uh, erected themselves, had a jugs pitching machine with the two wheels, and could throw the curveball, the whole deal, with an automatic ball feeder. And that was it. And that was it. Right then and there, I hugged them both. I told my mom right then and there, I said, Mom, I'm going to hit 200 balls every fucking day till the day I graduate, and I'm going to one day make the big leagues. And that was my why for me. I mean, I went out there every single day. I didn't miss a day. Really? I did my homework, came home. I didn't party in high school. I just lived, breathed. And were you channeling your dad the whole time? Like, did you feel your dad in you as a kid Not or did that come really. later in that life? That was later in life. Yeah. Um, I really didn't deal with it. Yeah, you hit it, buried it. Yeah, I buried it. I think it hints a lot of the depression and anxiety. I didn't, of course. I, I didn't do it. It came later in 1, life. 1,000%. And um, so I just thought of my mom working all those hours of supporting my sister. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her that house. I'm going to get her that house. That was my why. You know, I think sometimes in life when we go out and, and, and do, you can't do it all for yourself. No. You got to have a compelling reason. Yep. And my mom was that reason. <clears throat> and so uh, every day to the day I graduated, didn't party, didn't smoke, we didn't do any of that shit. Just Damn. played baseball. So tell me this though, were you playing like my kids in traditional Little League mm -hmm. now? Yep. And were you a, just that standout kid? Like there are standout kids on my son's team where you're like, dang, that kid's friggin' good. And it goes from that to, but he'll never make it to the big leagues. No. What was it in your, like, how did you know you had it? What was the it factor for you even at that age, though? I had some talent in Little League. I was decent, but I wasn't the best player. Um, I just loved baseball. And interestingly enough, you said that in high school, my senior year, I hit 300 with one fucking home run. Hardly the stats of a future major leaguer. Right. I had to walk on to a junior college and continue pushing. I didn't even get a scholarship out of high school. And I actually started getting bigger and stronger and faster. I was a late bloomer. Mm. And it clicked like that in junior college. In one year, I went from 301 home run in high school to 417 with 17 bombs in junior college. Okay. Most people would have quit and just said, you know what? I'm going to work the oil fields in Texas. But I had, a, I had a, this obsessive, compulsive, like almost delusional confidence in myself that I was going to make the big leagues. I even, love it. Even when there's no evidence to the contrary in high school. That's so fascinating to me. So I'll take you back to the high school thing. And I had this vision. My vision was so big. And I think that's the one thing that people need to have if they want to be successful. That's why most big leaguers, when I talk to them, 
they have the most of is this visualization. When I was hitting in those that cage all those years, I would envision myself hitting a game-winning World Series home run right down the right field line at yep. Arlington Stadium. Yep. And I say that because I'll take you to 2010, fast forward 20 years from that moment. I'm playing with the San Francisco Giants in 2010. We're in the World Series against two, the Texas Rangers. Oh, my God. You getting chills yet? Right. Well, you know I'm not the sports guy, so thanks for <laughs> filling in the details. A little late to the pickup, but yes, I got the chills. So I'm, I'm coming up in game four. We're up two games to one. It's a 0-0 game, and top of thirding, one out, runner at second. Tommy Hunter's the pitcher for the Rangers. I step in the batter's box, and I had this, like, the I've, I've had thousands of bats up to this moment, but I felt the hairs in the back of my neck stand up, like something awesome was about to happen. You know, it was just weird. Yeah. I never had this feeling stepping into a major league box, except for my first major league at bat. Of course. And I step in there. I look at Tommy Hunter. I tap my bat on the plate, get ready to drive the ball. He throws me a first pitch fastball inside corner. I hit it right down the right field line for a two-run game. What you envisioned. Run, just like I envisioned thousands of times as a kid. It's amazing. And as I hit second base, Chris, this is no bullshit. I don't remember even getting into my dugout because I remember when I touched second, I looked up at that second deck where my mom – brought my sister and I to watch that game when I got that autograph from all those guys. <gasps> and I was like sitting there high five. Next thing I knew, I'm high five in my butt. But you're in that moment as I'm a kid. I'm in that moment, blacked out. I don't even know from second to get into the dugout how that got there. It was just one of those full circle moments where, you know, my vision, my vision was so clear. And I think a lot of people, they have a dream for something they want to do in life. And they give up after six months or a year. And they're like, well, fuck it. I, I gave my best. I had vision. It didn't happen. Fuck, man, it took me 20 years to get to that moment. Yeah. I mean, you just got to keep busting your ass to grinding. get there. Grinding, and that's what it took for me. It also speaks so much as far as, uh, I don't believe in coincidence. I really don't. You, you visualize that, and it, it's why I'm also a huge proponent of patience, where I do believe mm -hmm. if you visualize and, and you put your mind to it, it will eventually come to fruition, good and bad. Yeah. I mean, you could have the opposite adverse mm -hmm. effect, too. Once I made it to the big leagues, Right in 2000, 2000, I made the big leagues, but you don't necessarily get paid a ton of money right out of the gate. Right. So in 2003, I had my bet, one of my best years I ever had in my life. I got signed by the Tampa Bay Rays, um, three years, $15 million deal. And I thought to myself, well, now's a great time to pay mom back. Right. So I'm a Tampa Bay Devil Ray at the time, and it's the off season. And I just signed, like, signed my deal, like I said. And I told my mom one day, I said, hey, um, we're going to have a, uh, son and son and mother day today. We'll take you to breakfast and we're just gonna have a fun time. Why don't you get ready and let's do it. So I come pick her up and and um, and uh, grab her and we go to breakfast and after breakfast she's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, just trust me. I got this today. You just relax and be a mom. Yeah. Right. And um, this just so happened to be her her birthday, September 11th. And um, I go to the I drive into this Dodge Ram dealership and she knew immediately. I think she knew. She started, I'm, she's, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? Like, I think she remembered the whole bet too. Right. right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's time this, to pay this, up. This, this is time to pay the, pay the fiddler. I'm like, mom, thank you so much. You've, you've been such an inspiration my whole life. I love you. Happy birthday. You know, I told you all 20 years ago that uh, I was going to buy you a car. I don't know about a house, but I can get you a car right now. Right. <laughs> and so I got, she picked out the truck and she's a redneck woman and uh, she gets out. We sign the paper. She's almost crying and you know, we're, we're about to jump in her new truck and head out of the lot. And I say, hey, mom, surprise is not over. Just follow me. So I planned this like months in advance. Right. 
we pull into this little two-story townhouse kind of thing on the beach in St. Pete. And uh, as we pull in the driveway, she almost rear-ends me because you see the real estate agent with the keys to her brand Come new on. house at this for sale sign, Come on. right? She's like crying, getting out of the car. I walk up to her and and she's crying. The real estate lady's crying. My mom's crying. I couldn't help but cry. Yeah. You know, I'm handing her the keys. And it was in that moment I realized the power of not only your visualization, but why you do what you do. Yep. Right. I mean, for me, if it wasn't for my mom and even for my dad dying, I don't know if that would have gave me the motivation or even my mom might have even taken me to the Texas Rangers game. I agree. Wonder, I agree. Wh- where would my life be if my father was still here? You wonder why you ask God so many times. I ask him, why did my dad get taken from me? But what if he wasn't? Mm-hmm. What if I never went to a Rangers game? What if I never was here to, to, to share this story and go through some of the miserable fucking times of my life? with mixed with such amazing times in my life too i've went through some major highs and lows and i think it's a pretty compelling story i don't think i'd be here today without my father no question but it's so profound to me because she said you know you had been masking this stuff or burying this stuff for a while and to me and i know this from my own time in therapy this is just sounds like textbook PTSD from childhood, where you buried this stuff, used it to fuel you and and set yourself off on this direction that isn't achieved by many people on this planet, as you pointed out, motivated by this trauma, yet had to be a point in your life when you dealt with the trauma, and it sounds like it happened after your career. Yeah, once I I got out of baseball, um, well, actually, I'll take you back. I think it started in 2010. We won the World Series in 2010. Shortly thereafter, I had that home run in the World Series. We win the World Series two days later. We're back in San Francisco. Uh, we're about to celebrate, have the parade, the whole deal. You know, I'm a World Series champion. I've done everything I've ever wanted in the game of baseball. I wake up next to my wife. I look her dead in the eye. When we wake up, I go, fuck, now what? Ugh. Like, I just, it was, it was. You achieved dep- your goals. It, dude, it was fucking depressing. By because, your 30s. Dude, I'm 37 years old. I'm or 35 years old at the time, and I'm a World Series champion. I've done everything. My dreams and goals are gone. So what's my next goal, right? We win a World Series in 2012. I could have gave one fuck less. Wow. Right? Like, and that's when I knew it was time to walk away. I walked away in 2012. And and that's um, a depression to me right there. 1,000%. When you start just giving, you stop giving a shit. You no, know, don't care. You don't care. You're, you're a decorated baseball player, and yeah. it's like, whatever. Yeah. It's fascinating. So, so you know how I fueled that and filled that up in 2010 after I told her that? Um, I started really upping drug use yeah i was gonna say alcohol (laughs) dude i I was boozing up i was taking almost 100 milligrams of adderall daily i mean fuck man it was christmas time in 2010 i i went to like this santa's workshop on 100 milligrams and bought five thousand dollars worth of christmas decorations and put them all up on my house all in like one day like fucking clark w griswold (laughs) (laughs) i'm singing outside country music putting lights up the next day, we light, you know, I show my wife the time my kids are wow, it's amazing. But deep down, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm starting to come down. What was that? Yeah. Just a complete bender. Just, and then just depression the next day. Yeah. Complete depression because you cannot replace that high. Riddled with guilt. Yeah. Oh, guilt. I just spent 5000 on Christmas decorations. Now right. I got to take all this shit down. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, so it's, and I went dark. And it got to the point where even that offseason, I went to Vegas. I was doing the same shit, 100 milligrams. I got caught fucking around. Um, she caught me messing around, and she actually took me back eventually, but it took a long, long time. And Because uh, at that stage, you're just out of your mind. Dude, you're you're just, not thinking was, of other people. No, it was something I would never do sober. Nope. I mean, I would never cheat on my wife sober. And it nope. happened, uh, drugged out of my mind, invincible. And once she caught me, she's like, listen, the only way I'd even consider taking you back is if you go to rehab. 
So here I am, a, a first-time World Series champion, all the money in the world, all the things, and I'm in rehab that fucking offseason. I didn't even – I barely made spring training because I just finished up my rehab stint. Was it a uh, was it like one of those outpatient deals? It, or did you well, go no, into it a was, facility? It was a full facility over oh, in dang. Scottsdale, Arizona. We have Scottsdale as the Giants in Scottsdale, Arizona, so I wanted to be immediately after I finished my stint to get right to spring training. Did that get out in the press that you spent time no, in rehab? No, oh, okay. it didn't. But once I once I started talking openly about it, um, Bruce Bochy knew about it. Right. Um, the organization obviously knew about it. Most many players did not. We love Bruce Bochy in this town. By Fucking the way. amazing guy. I love Bruce Bochy. Yeah, he's the man. Man, I miss that guy, dude. It's it's it's. Uh, uh, it's kind of sad this fucking year they're having this year. I know. Last year, I know. But. Even I know enough about baseball to say I know. Yeah. Because yeah. I love Boach so much and we should never have gotten rid of him. But yeah, that's another story. Yeah. Well, we actually, me and my uh, boys went up to opening day this that's year. Right. And uh, my boys got to go on the field and hang out. Some of the, They were literally on the batting cage watching guys hit batting practice, Damn. right? And then we went inside and talked to Bruce Bochy, just me, my two boys, and Bruce. That's amazing. You know, got pictures with him and everything. And as I'm leaving, I'm like, boys, do you have any fucking idea how lucky you guys are? The like, king. They don't. Have, they have no clue. They right? will one day. They, one day they will. They'll but, figure it out. Yeah, but what a legend. So what were you being treated for at that time? Adderall then? Uh, so uh, Adderall addiction. Um, and, you know, for me, that was really it. And I'm sitting there in rehab. you got to imagine this. Fuck, man, I'm just taking pills. I'm not a real drug addict. That's what you think. Right. As you're looking at this 15-year-old with 50 holes track in his marks. arm from track marks in his arm from heroin and yep. all that shit. Did the treatment and rehab work for you? It, you know, it was it was odd because the first two weeks, um, I remember at nighttime just detoxing, and I would sweat bullets, and I couldn't sleep for two weeks. Yeah. Sweating bullets in my bed, but yet freezing at night. And so it was really, you could tell my body needed to really, it took me about two weeks to finally get there. And I got to the point where I'm like, hey, I'm going to beat this. You know, I actually really just went to rehab just to get my life back. And yeah. like, you know what I mean? I mean, I didn't really want to get sober. And I think that's the biggest problem with rehab is you got to fucking want it to actually get sober. Good and I, when, I, when I got out, I relapsed, I relapsed like that because I mm. did it for the wrong reasons. I relapsed in 2011. I uh, was hiding my drug addiction from my ex-wife. I would actually take piss bottles that were from somebody else that was sober mm -hmm. to the house because when she would test me, I'd have clean urine to test. Oh, so your uh, wife was even testing She was you. testing me that's at home. That's hardcore. Yeah, that's hardcore. And I would, that is fucking dependent on Adderall. Wow. And so- And um, I don't understand the whole Adderall thing for what it's worth. I really don't. But this is a- Adderall's really big in baseball, right? It's Pardon huge, my ignorance. Huge in sports. It's huge, sports it's huge in college. It's called the study drug for college And kids. what is it? It just helps you lock in when you have ADD or something? Yeah, if you have ADD, it supposedly helps you lock in. But if you don't have ADHD, it's like fucking cocaine. Okay. And it just turns you into a raging lunatic. And how, does it make you a better baseball player? Uh, it doesn't make you a better baseball player. Or make player. you think you're a better baseball player? It makes player? you think you are. Okay. Right, right. And that's half the battle. Got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no shit. Yeah. I mean, I, w I remember the first time I ever took it, I was in Baltimore in 2009. And well, I, was, I was with the Orioles, but we were in Chicago. And it was a day game in Chicago, getaway day. And I felt like fucking shit. I was hungover. And ninth year in the big leagues with the Rays and Orioles, I just got my ass kicked every night for nine years. I was tired of baseball and hungover. And I'm sitting in this dirty, dark, corner of the locker room and uh, where the media wasn't even allowed just still in my street clothes an hour before game time a teammate of mine walks in and he goes oof uffy rough night last night huh? i'm like oh i don't want to play today fuck fuck <laughs> fuck 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 he goes hey buddy i got something to cure your eels my man i'm like fuck it what do you got he brings this 20 milligram little fucking orange and white pill i'm like it's adderall he gives me the spiel like a radio ad you'd see on tv or whatever right 
And so I'm like, ah, oh, what the fuck? It can't do much for me. I popped it. But Chris, I got to tell you, in 20 minutes, that room, that dark room, start, it felt like the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper. Okay. You know, where the light lights up. You knew everything about everything. I went to my locker, put my, I couldn't wait to get on the field. Really? I, I was, in that moment, I thought to myself, if everybody in the world was on Adderall, it'd be a better fucking place. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and after the game, though, I found out that, dude, I could not, I was not much of a smoker, but I could not stop smoking marble menthols for whatever reason. What? And, and I had to drink like 15 beers just to pass out because I could not Because you were just so fired up on the Adderall. Yep. And then the next day, I felt so bad waking up, miserable. What's the only way to go? Boom. Pop another one. Vicious cycle. So what were people taking back in the day? Like when you hear Greenies. about- green, Yeah, when you hear that strawberry yeah. and mm-hmm. good. And yeah. I remember watching, because I grew up a Mets fan, and those guys were always out of their minds. They weren't greenies. That was full on cocaine. That was full <laughs> coke. Okay. What were the greenies though? Were those the, were those the downers or I something? I don't exactly know what yeah. was in it. And it didn't do much for me. A lot of guys swore by them. It was almost like 50, it was like 50 cups of coffee, apparently what they say. But for me, when I would take a greenie, all it did for me was numb my tongue. And I couldn't even talk. I don't know what it was. I, I hated it. Was it supposed to have the same effect it, as Adderall, it, though? Apparently. Or oh, oh, apparently. I just apparently. I didn't get the okay. same effect. Adderall to me was, I've never done cocaine. No bullshit. Yeah, I haven't either. And I, I got to tell you, if I ever took cocaine, I think I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. Because the way Adderall, if they say Adderall is anywhere close to what cocaine is, ooh, fuck. It's interesting you say that because I went through San Diego State in the mm-hmm. 80s where there was a lot of coke. I knew my personality and I never touched it. Hand to God. For the same reasons. I'm like, dude, I'll get so addicted to that stuff. I'm done. You'll be in Mexico banging hookers. No before question. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing that on weed. Imagine if I incorporate coke. Oh, shit. <laughs> so that's nuts. And you got yourself clean and everything and then ended up losing your wife anyway, didn't you? Yeah, well, that, yeah, that was a different thing. I mean, I think um, this happened just recently in the last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for the last, when I retired, she tried so hard, you know, to, to really let go of the past and, and, and and fairly enough for her, I mean, she tried. Yeah. And even I had really a lot of lingering guilt and like regret. It was hard for me to even forgive myself for the things I did to her. And you see all sides. I mean, right. I see it from your side, PTSD, lost his dad, all the success. What are you doing with your life? And then this poor woman who married this superstar and you're, you're no longer the guy that maybe she thought you were. I don't know. I don't want to speak for your relationship. Did you feel that she looked at you differently? No, it was, it, I think, you know, before the Adderall, before the cheating and all that stuff, she couldn't keep her hands off me. I couldn't keep my hands off her. We had mm. such passion. We'd hold hands together. We'd snuggle at night. And then after I cheated on her, she took me back. That was gone on her end. The foundation was just yeah, broken um, at that I, point. She, she stopped being, uh, you know, she tried and she tried and tried. For six years, I think we kind of faked the rest yeah. of us. You hear that and all the time. We did it for time, our kids, though. right? Neither one of us after that time cheated. Yeah. Didn't fuck around. We just came to a point where we just couldn't live with our own bullshit anymore yeah. right you know she couldn't forgive me and i couldn't really live with the guilt yeah so we moved on and and, and we're in a great relationship now good i mean uh, we we have dinners with our kids twice a month and you know we talk on the phone about shit we had coffee the other day for an hour and a half talked more about life and just a struggle than we ever did when we were married for 11 years yeah it's pretty amazing because the playing field's probably pun intended leveled right there's it's no like, pressure there's no pressure no pressure anymore you're just equal humans that's right that's you're right. not on the road doing your thing and mm-hmm. now when it comes to your kids would you want your kids to follow your path or <laughs> fuck i hope not yeah right no my my, my youngest who is uh, eight he's a killer baseball player he's got it but he's got such a great heart and i hope my kids are a lot 
better off than I was. I grew up without a father. Right. And so my biggest thing now just being is being a father, man. Like my podcast is secondary, right? I mean, it's third. I mean, for, first for me is my faith in God, number one, my boys, um, my health, and then whatever else is fucking gravy. The yeah. podcast, it goes great, great. If it doesn't, whatever the fuck, whatever. I don't yeah. care. I just want to make sure that I live my life in a way that I can be on my bed one day, know that I gave everything I can to those little fucking boys like mine. Yeah. You know, and, and know that I lived the life um, that hopefully can resonate with people, that can be transparent, vulnerable, and honest. I think, you know, Chris, man, this world is so full of guys that are just holding back. I know. They're scared to say what they really feel. They're, like we talked about earlier, man, fueling up booze and alcohol and not really present. Yep. and not being vulnerable. Hell, how many times you gone with guys? It's the same old bullshit. Yeah. Hey, yeah. man, how yeah. you fucking how you doing? Great. Oh, look at that chick. She's fucking hot. Ooh, yeah. What do you think about doing you know, it with your house? You're going to upgrade? You no, get that what, new place uh, down the road, yeah, a bigger, more property? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got that Lambo? Fuck yeah, man. How's the interest rate? What do interest rates <laughs> yeah, you get? Yeah, right, I hate man. that shit. Surface level bullshit, I hate man. it, man. Dude, I want to sit down with some guys, have some beers. I'm like, hey, man, how's, how's the marriage? Really? Yeah. Like, how's it going? I mean, are you getting laid? Or where's the, What's the passion? No, I'm not. I'm not. Really? I'm not. So how often is it? Once uh, every couple of weeks, I'm answering your questions. Oh, for you're once. <laughs> I'm That's answering still your questions. Pretty good. How long have you been married, Chris? Uh, 14 years. Fuck, I'll take it. All right. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I'm not I know, complaining. I know guys that aren't getting. I had a guy tell me that a good friend of mine. Like a year, right? twice in six months oh boy but i hear that stuff a lot too what the fuck how are you still married and then they expect you not to go out you, hey I'm a well, pretty that's what good i tell dog, my wife when my wife gets yeah when my wife gets mad at me when she finds another crunchy t-shirt and a ball in a corner i'm like babe what else am i gonna do you rather me doing this with somebody else of course i'm gonna jerk off to Pornhub every day of 100%. course until it's an everyday thing, which it's never going to be. Right. No. Well, we know that. But if you know what, if you could just throw us a bone once a week, exactly, without begging for it, Chris, you look at this body. You're a beautiful man. I'm a handsome, salty, Dude, gray, forty-two-year-old Jack motherfucker. I'd blow you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, when you start having to get to that point, where you knew you're fucked, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's not like I was. 300 pounds overweight and drinking every night. No, but dude, it takes friggin' work. It and does. Even the kids keep me on track and living a positive and good life and staying, staying in the lane, staying in the right lane. Man. Well, I'll tell you, I think for one thing I've really learned, it took fucking a long time for me to figure this out was women obviously aren't wired like us. We're, yeah. we, we need to feel loved by, you know, physical contact. It's true. They need to feel love and romance in their minds, right? It's Stimulated, true. right? And we don't like talking. And we're fucking terrible at vulnerability and communication. I wish I could turn back time and be more vulnerable with my ex-wife. I get it. We'd still be here today, 1,000%. And that's what I'm working on today as Mm -hmm. I approach 50, and that's that's what I have in front of me this day and every day moving forward. I think every guy does. Yeah. You know, we live in that society, man. You know, it's it's a hard-ass society. You you either kill or get killed. Truth. You know, you got to put on that 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 big face and tough guy face, and it's hard in your workplace to turn that off when you go home. It's professional sports. I look out there, that fucking guy's taking food off my table. I'm a warrior out here. Nobody takes my shit. And then when you go home, how do you turn that off? Man, you know? so true. And right. plus, you're dealing with in your workplace, you're up at bat, you've got people yelling at you, criticizing everything you do. You're a statistic. Mm-hmm. Who wants to be criticized at home? You just want to be loved. That's right. You just want to be loved, worshipped, and made love to. That's right. That's We're guys. That's all, all right. we want. More sex for you, Aubrey. That's what I wish in your future. <laughs> well, I'm not struggling there anymore. <laughs> Appreciate the talk, man. This is good shit, buddy. Thanks, Chris. I'm really I glad it. I met you at this point yeah, in my man. life. Great to be on the show, bud. There you have it. That's our chat. 
Aubrey Huff here on Talking Story, and be sure to check out Aubrey's podcast, Off the Cuff, with Aubrey Huff. You got Off the Cuff, Aubrey Huff, Talking Story, Chris Cantori. I think there's a trend happening. Otherwise, uh, thank you to Jake Nager and the Moment of Truth for the background music that you hear. Jake Nager, the Moment of Truth, a wonderful local band. If you like what you're hearing, certainly hunt them down on all the socials, and that's Jake Nager, N A J. A-O or N-A-J-O-R. Hello. And uh, on the next episode of Talking Story, going to be talking to Silver Sun Pickups. Looking forward to that. Remember that band? You know Silver Sun Pickups, right? Of course you do. That'll be awesome. Thank you to our sponsors. As we end every show, I do want to thank Mariposa Ice Cream for being uh, one of our big patrons on the patreon.com forward slash you. Mariposa Ice Cream, locations in Temecula, Marietta, Oceanside, Adams Avenue, Normal Heights. What's up, Anna? And uh, thank you to Mariposa for helping us keep the lights on here at you online. Best homemade ice cream on the planet. No question. All right. Until next time, thank you again to Aubrey. Be well and much aloha.